Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is time for another edition of the Curtain Call podcast. My name is Michael Beck, deputy editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Joined as, by always, one Mr. Jeffrey Benedict. Jeffrey, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Michael. I'm doing really good tonight. Oh, I love to hear that. Um, Hey, you know why I'm why I'm in a great mood tonight is because we got a special guest with us, uh, Ben Jones from StateCollege.com. Uh, ben, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Actually, the Sixers are getting worked by the Heat right now, so I'm I'm a little <laughs> less than perfect, but otherwise, I, I got no complaints. Yeah, that game's ugly. <laughs> oh, well, before before we get into this now, Jeffrey, is that uh, would that be your de facto NBA team? Just the the one uh, Pennsylvania squad? Oh no. Nope. Don't like the Sixers. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. I, liked, we, we I, liked, I, was, I was an Allen Iverson fan. was always an Iverson fan, but uh, yeah, not a Sixers fan. That's we, we can get into that more later, I guess. But uh, the topic of hand tonight, uh, we're breaking down Steelers' second-round pick, Pat Fryermuth, and I hope I'm saying that right because uh, that, that's, a, that's a bit of a mouthful, a whole lot of vowels, but we'll work on it. We'll, we'll, we'll get that down, Pat. Uh, ben, uh, specifically – does Pat Fryermuth live up to his uh, baby Gronk moniker? Is that kind of a, a ridiculous statement to be uh, throwing his way already? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's sort of two ways to look at it. I think the fact that he's from that sort of New England neck of the woods made it easy for people to make that comparison as he started to rise up the recruiting ranks and kind of have his athleticism. I actually remember seeing him at a, a football camp that Penn State had hosted many years ago at this point and being impressed by sort of his athleticism at that age, um, you know, is he Gronk? You know, there's only one Gronk. Um, but in, in terms of some of the 
the calling cards that they both kind of have as players. I think it's not an unfair comparison. It's just sort of a high standard to hold a kid to, um, you know, in college. And then, you know, obviously when you're going into the NFL, trying to make a name for yourself. So what area of his game do you think you would be safe calling the most Gronk like what part of his game? Um, I think he just has really consistent hands. I mean, there's obviously a lot of things that Gronk does and has done really well in terms of his athleticism and, you know, the ability to shed, shed tackles and what have you. But I think uh, the, the biggest thing that Penn State got out of Pat the last couple of years, not so much last year when he was dealing with injuries, but over the course of his career was he was just really reliable. And I think we've seen, you know, over the course of Gronk's career that, you know, when Tom Brady needs someone to throw it to, or you need someone who has to make that catch. Um, you know, obviously Gronk is not a receiver um, in, in the, you know, the positional sense, but in terms of a guy that can really make a catch every time you need it, I think Pat really throughout his career was consistently able to bring down, you know, pretty much everything that was thrown his way. Um, and for a little while there, that was a big issue for Penn State that they, they didn't have a guy, um, especially early in his career, that was quite as consistent as he was. So I think he really made a name for himself in the offense, sort of being able to be reliable pretty much every single snap. Um, so I, I think if you're going to compare just sort of what you get out of him right away that might be comparable to Gronk, I, I think it's the fact that, you know, he's he's going to be there and more often than not, he's going to make that catch uh, that you need him to make. In that, you mentioned his health, which uh, we saw he had a, a shoulder surgery of some sorts a season ago. Um, I, I don't believe I actually saw which operation he, he went under, whether it was a labrum or a rotator cuff, what have you. But um, do you expect him to be 100% healthy in, uh, in, I guess, the coming weeks here as we get into, what, mini camp, I guess, this weekend and then uh, – training camp a, a couple months from now? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know a lot more than you do, but I, my impression from, you know, when he worked out at Pro Day, or rather when he didn't work out at Pro Day, um, was that really he was just a few weeks from being able to do some of those lifts and some of the runs and everything. Um, I, I mean, I think it's worth noting, obviously, post-op is always a different sort of process, but I think the fact that he was, um, he played a little bit last year through that injury. So the fact that he was able to play um, even though he was injured and then, you know, sort of decided once Penn State's season went downhill to get the, the surgery and kind of make sure that he was healthy for the next step. Um, so I would anticipate that he is healthy uh, for all the important things that are coming up uh, down the road for the Steelers and everybody else. Um, but obviously, you know, things change and he's not texting me every time he wakes up a little feeling a little sore. So but I, I imagine he should be healthy and good go. For him, with the time he's missed and all this stuff, uh, how ready do you think he is, you know, week one, like training camp, preseason, week one of the NFL season? How how ready is he to to be a weapon in the NFL? Um, I think he's pretty ready. I mean, he's a big guy. He's He's got a big physical body. He's not really, you know, sometimes you see guys that make a lot of plays in college and you go, well, you know, the, the competition and the size and everything, you wonder if that translates. But I think... Um, you know, th there was a, I guess it was the cotton bowl. He had a, a really big hit down the field where he just bowled this guy over and, and just sort of went right through him. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, obviously coming off an injury, there's always that sort of recovery time where you get everything, your cardio and everything back underneath you. Um, but I think in terms of like the intellect, in terms of his, his physical stature right now, um, you know, I don't think there's there's any question that he's going to be a guy that's going to be able a lot like Mike Kosicki, who get, he gets compared to 
um, you know, the predecessor for him at Penn State now in Miami. Um, you know, I, I think he, they, Mike was able to, you know, produce right away. And I don't see particularly any reason outside of, you know, being 100% that, that Pat wouldn't be able to do the same. When it comes to tight ends, really, you've kind of seen a transition in the league now where they're more like just really big receivers. Is that fair to call uh, Fryermuth a player like that, or is he someone that's uh, more of a blocker or that receiving type, or is he just kind of an all-around tight end that uh, is kind of getting away from this game? Yeah, I mean, I think he he's more of an all-around guy. I mean, obviously, you know, like you mentioned, in today's game, you've got to be more athletic and you've got to be reliable in the passing game to be an effective tight end. Um, but I think the one thing um, that Mike Kosicki didn't do as well at Penn State that Pat has done a better job or did a better job with was his blocking. So he's a guy that, you know, can stand in the pocket, so to speak, and pick up a linebacker, pick up a corner, or whoever's coming around the edge. Um, and he did that pretty consistently. He got better at his run blocking um, as his career went along. Um, but obviously, you know, sort of his bread and butter or at least, you know, sort of what has gotten him to this point in his career is the ability to make plays down the field. Um, I don't think he's quite as athletic as Mike Kosicki in terms of um, Mike was a former basketball player that could really high point balls and kind of go up and just beat three other guys uh, to a ball. That's never really been Pat's thing. Um, but if you get it to him, he's going to catch it. And, you know, obviously you just tailor your passes and the, the plays and the designs around what he's good at. And I think the big thing for him is just if he can get his hands on it, he's going to catch it. So He's definitely an all-around guy, but I think you're right. As the tight end position becomes more and more receiver-heavy, um, there's there's no doubt that you know that this is something that he is good at as well. So, do you consider him a more of a a good blocker who can also catch the ball, or is he a receiving tight end who can also block? Like, which side of that would he fall on in the in the more balanced category? Um, I mean, I would say he's a receiving tight end that can block. I mean, he had. His uh, second year at Penn State, I think he had 43 receptions. Um, you know, you can fact check me on that, but it, it, it was, you know, he's been a 20 plus, 30 plus guy when he's healthy um, in terms of receptions. They relied on him a lot in the passing game. Um, he was a good safety valve. He made a lot of plays. He's hard to bring down. Um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, obviously the blocking is a bigger part of his game than it was for some of the guys that came before him. Um, but I, I do consider him to be more of a pass catcher that can also block rather than a blocker um, that happens to catch passes. When we uh, were kind of traversing the uh, pre-draft process, well before the Steelers drafted uh, Pat, he uh, was often compared to actually Heath Miller, oddly enough. Um, do you agree with that kind of comparison? And is that uh, the, the kind of guy that uh, we should kind of see that the same sort of replication uh, here in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I mean, even, you know, not even as a, you know, I'm not a Steelers fan myself, but living in Pennsylvania, you know, I think anyone that watches the NFL knows sort of Heath Miller's kind of uh, reputation in the state in terms of being a tough guy, in terms of being reliable and durable. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, that's a fair comparison to make. It's sort of a high bar to ask a guy to meet, especially with, you know, sort of how not to speak for Pittsburgh fans, but, you know, sort of the, the regard that people hold him with in terms of that fan base. Um, you guys would know that better than me. Um, but I, I do think that there's a good comparison to be made there in terms of the physicality, in terms of the not being afraid to take a hit. Um, I, I do think he is a good balance between that transition between a guy that, you know, is giving up toughness for the offensive ability. Sometimes, you know, a guy can make great 
catches, but he's not a big fan of lowering his shoulder necessarily. Um, and I think that he has the ability to kind of fit that Heath Miller, you know, mold as I understand it, you know, to be able to make plays, but also not really shying away from the contact that, you know, made him so beloved. What, one thing Heath Miller was fantastic at was play action because he was such a good blocker and also such a good re- reliable receiver and smart with his spacing. Um, I noticed just when I was doing a film room on, on Pat Fryermuth, I don't watch a lot of Penn State, but I noticed in there that a lot of his plays where he's getting the ball, Penn State's running a ton of play action. Uh, is that kind of the offense Penn State runs and he kind of fits into it? Or is that like something they ran knowing that he was going to be really a weapon in play action? Yeah, I mean, they've Penn State has run, you know, the sort of RPO offense probably since 2016 or so. So it's it's more of a he fits into that puzzle, I think, a little bit. But there are definitely circumstances where, you know, you would see, you know, Pat stay back in in protection and then kind of slip out into the seam and and, and make some you know great plays in that kind of 10 to 15 yards down the field area where he kind of finds the space between the safeties and the linebackers and and kind of makes a, a, a home for himself, if you will. So I, I do think that it's a little bit of both. Um, but it, again, I mean, I, I think it comes back to, you got to kind of be good at both things. And I think play action, you know, if you're a guy that can block and if you're a guy that can get down the field, you kind of fit that, that play action mold there. Cause obviously you're going to have to contain some guys as that play develops. Um, so I, I do think it fits well for him, but honestly, you know, I think unless you're asking him to run a four forty, um, there's not a lot that Pat can't do. When you watch uh, Pat Farmer's highlight tape, especially, it, it instantly jumps off paper that he loves to run people over as soon as, that, as, soon as the ball's in his hands. Um, is he the kind of guy that's going to be uh, having weekly pancake blocks, those truck trucking type runs? Is he like that bully on the field, or is that more something that just kind of breaks breaks out every now and then, uh, mainly against smaller competition, or is he really that guy? I mean, I, I think he can be that guy. I mean, I think that. Um, you know, physicality is always something that kind of develops over the course of the career and, and sort of you continue to get better at. I, I think that um, he did a good job becoming that physical guy as his career went along. Um, the sort of interesting thing was, you know, lots of Penn State fans and, you know, those of us that cover the team were used to him hitting people. And then when he got hurt, uh, the two tight ends behind him came in and started hitting people even harder. So I don't know what they're exactly they're putting in the milk and cereal in the last building, but the tight ends have started to take people's heads off. Um, not literally because that's targeting, but that's beside the point. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, a whole I, other podcast. Yeah, that's a completely different different conversation. But yeah, I mean, I think he is a guy that he doesn't shy away from contact. He's he's going to knock people on their butts. He's going to you know make people earn their tackles. Um, you know, obviously you've got to pick your spots. You got to be durable. You don't want to you know bite off more than you can chew. But I, I do think that he is a guy that is that is not afraid of that contact. And and you will probably see as he continues to develop, uh, you know, some of those highlights that happen away from the ball where you realize that, you know, he drove a guy 10 yards down the field or he knocked the linebacker, you know, back a couple yards when he came in on a blitz and picked it up. So I, I definitely think he has that in his bag, so to speak. Now with his physical play, did he, did Pat have any problems with, with drawing penalties, either, you know, offensive pass interference or, Roughness penalties. Was there was there many penalties for him? Uh, not that I recall. I mean, I think anybody that gets the ball thrown at him as much as, as he did is going to pick up an offensive pass interference here or there. But um, no, I mean, there's. I think there's a big difference between being physical and, and being 
you know, over that line, that hypothetical line where you're a detriment. I just think he's a tough kid. Um, you know, he's always been a dependable blocker. And, you know, like I've said a couple times here, he's good at shedding tackles down the field. But in terms of penalties or anything like that, um, Penn State's in general done a pretty good job the last couple of years of not drawing penalties. And he was certainly uh, a part of that. When you look at kind of the hierarchy of uh, NFL tight ends right now, clearly Travis Kelsey and Greg, uh, George Kittle rather, uh, stand above the rest. Is he someone with potential that's that high? Like we know Kyle Pitts obviously was at the top of the draft class. He's kind of destined to be the next guy, but does Fryermuth kind of have that potential to actually become someone that you look at maybe a couple years down the road saying like, oh, this guy's like a top five tight end in this league? I think from a consistency standpoint, yeah. I mean, I think he has the ways to go to become that guy in terms of the the sort of surprising athleticism that some of those guys have, that they, that they really fill that hybrid role of receiver and tight end. Um, but I think the thing that, that Pat will really make his money with is just the ability to be consistent. And, and that, to a certain extent, um, you know, is a, a thing that will make you one of the best tight ends in the league. I, I think about you know, as an Eagles fan, Zach Ertz couldn't shed a tackle to save his life, but he could make a million catches every game and be really consistent. And I think a lot of people, you know, especially when he was was very good, thought of Zach Ertz as one of the better, at least, you know, tight ends in the league. And he wasn't necessarily a guy that was going to do these spectacular things, but he was consistent every single game and he was there to make the catches. So, you know, I, I don't think Pat is necessarily flashy, um, but, you know, it's one of those things. Do you, you want a flashy guy or do you want a guy who's going to make 85% of his catches? And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you probably take somewhere in between, but I, I think that certainly from a consistency and a toughness and kind of all around skill set standpoint, there's no reason that it can't. And I think, you know, you talk about, um, you know, sort of his hype. I, I would have had him last year if he had been healthy and, and you know, the pandemic hadn't been going on and everything had been a little bit more normal. I would have had him probably, top four tight ends in the country if he was healthy going into last year and everything was a little bit more, more normal. So I think, you know, the injury and the oddity of Penn State season might have bumped him down the charts a little bit and the excitement level that comes with a guy who's got a shoulder injury and no one's watching him play and Penn State's not very good, so no one's watching them play to begin with. Um, but I think in terms of what he can be, um, you know, he has the, the skill to be as good as anybody for the most part. One of the things we talked about internally after the Steelers drafted him, and we're all looking up scouting reports, we're all looking at reactions, everything, is there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of disagreement over his hands. Like you would have some reports talk about like how consistent he was and how good of a receiver he was, and then you'd have someone else talk about like he drops way too many passes. Uh, is there any validity to that? Because I, I again, I watched like four games of his, I didn't see any drops. Uh, is that something that showed up with his injuries? Is that something? Is that a problem that you know that is there? Where there's some things he needs to work on, or is that kind of just crazy talk? Um, I mean, you you get the ball thrown at you, you're not going to catch every single one. So you yeah. know, there's there's some of this where you go, well, sure. Did Pat ever record a drop? Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I think in general, um, you know, last year I think is a good example. He only played in four games and he had 23 catches. And you don't end up with 23 catches in four games, you know, especially with their offense that was kind of struggling to stay on the field, quite frankly. So I, I think that's a sign of consistency because 23 catches means you're getting at least 23 targets and you don't get that many targets over four games if you're dropping the ball. I thought he was outstanding his sophomore year. 
um, his freshman year, um, you know, he was good. So, yeah, I mean, I've always thought of Pat as a consistent guy. You know, you could probably find drops. You could probably find passes he'd like to have back. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure you could probably say that about just about everybody. To play devil's advocate here for a, a moment, when you watch him play, what's the one thing that kind of stands out the most that you think, okay, he needs to work on this to really take that next step? Um, I mean, I I think for me, and this is an analogy that will or a comparison that will work well for you guys, is that um, Pat reminds me of a slightly more athletic version of Jesse James um, as a guy that I also saw at Penn State. Um, and, and Jesse was, was not always the fastest. He wasn't always the most explosive. Um, and you know, I won't bring up any goal line related PTSD for you, but you know, there, there's, um, <laughs> um, you know, but I, I think that's an apt comparison because they, Mike Kosicki really set the bar high for Pat, I think as a really athletic, really high point kind of, uh, guy and Pat just isn't that kind of player. He's consistent. He's physical. He's going to make the plays and be the catch, make the catches and be reliable. Um, so, you know, if there's anything that he has to work on, it's just sort of that um, the athleticism from the standpoint of being that guy that you can throw it into a crowd of two guys or three guys, and he's going to come down with it. But, you know, that I think that's something that pretty much anybody that's not one of the top three tight ends in the game right now, have to work on. So I don't, I don't really look at him as a guy that has a major glaring weakness. Obviously when you play in the NFL, you're playing against the best football players in the world. So you're going to have guys that are going to make you have to get better. Um, you know, you can, I think any tight end that comes out of college can get better at blocking. Um, I think any tight end that comes out of college can get stronger and tougher, but um, you know, I think Mike to go back to him, cause he's the comparison that I always make in my head. Mike was not a particularly good blocker. He had to work on that in the NFL and he has, I don't look at Jesse as having, or not Jesse, excuse me. I don't look at Pat as having this obvious thing that he has to get better at. I just think he can get better at everything. You mentioned his uh, his production in, in only the four games in 2020, where he, his production like leaped up. He he was uh, he had over 300 yards, I think, in those just those four games. Was that just an increasing role in the offense because? You know, he he was a he needed a bigger part because people had left. Uh, was that you think because of growth in his own game, or is that just a small sample size where where he happened to have a couple of really big games? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, he was a pretty consistent presence on the offense his sophomore year. But the thing that kind of contextualizes it for last year is Penn State was going to be a running team. Two of their running backs got hurt, or one of them got hurt. The other one had a medical retirement before the season started and they were considered to be two of the better running backs uh, that were going to be in the big 10. So Penn state had to go to the passing game a lot more. KJ Hamler, who's in Denver now, wasn't, was no longer a part of the team because he was in the NFL. Um, so, you know, Penn state was starting Parker Washington as a freshman at receiver. They were starting Keandre Lambert Smith at receiver, who was a freshman. They had Jahan Dotson at receiver, who is turned out to be very, very good, but nobody really knew how good he was going to be at the time. So I think Pat was the obvious answer to we have to make 10 yards right now and we're going to throw it. Who do we throw it to? So I think, you know, certainly he got better. Um, but I think when you looked at Penn State's offense last year, between the injuries, between the departures, he was sort of the obvious choice. And I think to his credit, um, he was pretty consistent through those four games, you know, give or take uh, play here or there. 
When it comes to size, especially in the red zone, uh, you look at the Steelers lineup there, there's a bunch of guys over 6'4". Of course, Pat Farmuth himself is standing over 6'5". Is he a guy that's going to win a bunch of jump balls and kind of be a a demon in that uh, that red zone type area, goal line type situations? Yeah, I actually think that that's one of the areas. I know that I had said that his sort of downfield uh, high-pointing ball skills aren't as flashy as some of the guys that have come before him, but I think, um, you know, I look back when Penn State played Ohio State um, two years ago in State College, um, he had a really nice red zone touchdown, or three years ago, I guess it doesn't matter, that he basically posted the guy up in the red zone, in the end zone, and just kind of out physicaled him for the ball. And I think that's a good example of kind of what he can do that maybe he's not going to be a guy that you're going to throw it to 40 yards down the field so he can jump up and get it. But I do think from a matchup standpoint, when you have that kind of size and physicality um, that you can, you know, if you've got good leverage on the guy that's covering you, he's definitely there to kind of go up and get that ball. Um, And and that's something that Penn State had done a fair amount with him in the red zone uh, over the course of his career. Now, Pat Firemuth played all over as a tight end. Like they spread him out wide. They put him in the slot. He was in line. He played H back, uh, lined up as a fullback, even a a couple of times. Uh, Where do you think his best usage is? Is, Does he have a best usage or is he best used when he's moving around and, and doing different things? Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of the versatility that makes him a good tight end is that you can kind of put him in a lot of different places. Um, I mean, you're right now that I'm thinking about it. He was kind of all over the place. You know, you could almost put him in that sort of, I mean, he's not a slot receiver by any stretch. I'm not pretending that that's the case, but I do think that when you kind of break him out wide, um, you know, he can be a matchup issue. Um, When you keep him in, he can be a matchup issue if he kind of releases a little bit later into that secondary area. Um, So, yeah, I don't know if there's a place that you would say would be absolutely the best option, but I think having a guy that's versatile and doesn't have to be sort of locked into this is the thing that I am good at, um, I think gives you an advantage in that situation because you can move him around um, and it it doesn't become window dressing to say, oh, he's out wide, they're not going to throw it to him or, oh, he's, you know, inside, he's vulnerable to, you know, get blown up on the block. So I think he can do a little bit of both and I think he can succeed at a little bit of both. Sometimes when you watch a tight end play, uh, especially when they're playing beside a tackle with their hand in the dirt, they kind of look a little awkward in a three-point stance. Is Farmy someone that uh, can can play with his hand in the ground, or is he someone that should strictly be used as, a, as someone stand up in a two-point stance? Um, I mean, he stood up a whole lot more um, at Penn State. I think that's just a function of how they used him. Um, so I, I don't think I've seen him in a three-point stance a whole lot, um, just because that's not really the kind of offense that Penn State was running. Um, but I imagine that, you know, if he practices it, he's a smart kid. I think that's one of the things that we haven't really touched on is he's, he's not, a you know, meatheady kind of guy that is operating with minimal brain waves at any given moment. I mean, he's a smart kid. He's coachable. He likes learning. Um, and he got better over the course of his career, um, cause he really wanted to. So, you know, I, I don't really know how necessarily good he would be in that sort of make him a lineman, put him in a three-point stance sort of thing because he stood up a lot. But I think that he has all the traits to kind of, if that's how you want to use him, um, you know, he'll be quick to figure that out. So going past his just on-the-field play, uh, what was his reputation like around, you know, reporters that had to interact with him in the Penn State, you know, campus community and and with his teammates? What How was he viewed as a person? Yeah, I mean, he was one of those guys that, you know, when, 
you know, people in the locker room, when he spoke, they listened. Um, he was always good with the media. He was always, um, you know, insightful and, and as honest as you can be. I think the one thing, you know, with guys coming up in college is, you know, especially with Penn State, which there's a, there's a ton of people like me that cover the program, that that's really the first time that some of these kids have had 30 people with a microphone in their face. And, you know, that takes a little bit of adjustment sometimes. But I always thought Pat kind of took to it naturally. I thought he was um, – he didn't always say a lot, but what he said always carried weight. Um, and I think sometimes that's the best kind of player that you can be. Obviously, everybody's locker room demeanor is different. And I'm not in a locker room right now to say how it should or shouldn't be. But I think that, um, you know, he was active in Thon, which is a, a cancer-related fundraiser at Penn State. He, um, you know, always took the time to be friendly with fans. He was always friendly with the media. So, yeah, I, I can't say, you know, really any bad things about, you know, Pat Fryermuth in terms of the guy himself. Uh, last question for me here. Um, I'm curious whether or not you think uh, Pat Farmuth is someone that can play on special teams, especially if he's uh, seen more as a backup in year one here. Uh, is he someone that could cover kicks, or would he have any success as someone that uh, could be a blocker in uh, in return teams? Yeah, I think I think he can. I mean, I think he's athletic enough that you can put him out in that kind of position to to go hit somebody or or go get down the field and in quick order. Um, he didn't really do that at Penn State um, just because he was too important to get run over by some guy that just wanted to take your head off on special teams kind of deal. But I, I think that, you know, between his athleticism and size and uh, speed and what have you, there's no reason that he couldn't. And I think he's really I, kind of going back to the sort of person that he is. I think, you know, if Mike Tomlin says to Mar, look, you're not, you know, you're not going to be the primary tight end this year. You're not going to get a ton of snaps on offense, but we want to get you out there on special teams you know, I don't think that that he's going to be the kind of guy that, you know, pushes back on that. If he needs to do something to help the team, um, he's going to do it. So I, I think, you know, that in and of itself will make him successful at it. Awesome. Jeffrey, do you have anything else? Yeah. Is there anything uh, that comes to mind to you that, that maybe we haven't covered that stands out about uh, Pat Fryermuth? Hmm. What are his deepest and darkest secrets? Um, <laughs> I mean, I just think he's a good kid. You know, I think that, you know, you know, you go back to the question of, is he going to be, you know, a top five tight end in the league? You know, it's hard to say. Careers go all sorts of different directions and guys that you didn't expect to be super, super good end up being good. And guys that come in with a ton of hype maybe don't live up to it. But I think that the common denominator um he reminds me a lot of Saquon Barkley, who obviously, despite perhaps your best wishes, doesn't play for Pittsburgh, but he is an exceptionally good kid that I remember meeting Saquon when he came to Penn State, and he was the same guy then that he is the last time I saw him about a year ago. And I think Pat obviously is not quite as heralded as Saquon, um, but to watch his career go from the guy that nobody really knew to you know one of the most recognizable faces on Penn State's campus, he never really changed. And I think that in and of itself is a hallmark of a guy that's going to be able to be successful in the league for a long time. Um, so is he top five? I don't know, but I think he's a good kid. And I think that goes a long way towards, you know, trying your best to become a top five guy. Awesome stuff. Um, ben, before we let you go, uh, is there anything you want to plug uh, on your way out? Uh, go birds. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you can. Wah, wah. <laughs> and then suddenly the feed cuts off. No, I mean, if, if anybody that's watching looks Penn State, Athletics, I cover it at statecollege.com. You can follow me on Twitter, but otherwise, uh, I'm just glad the Eagles don't have to play the Steelers this year because they're probably going to suck again, so I'll take it. 
<sighs> now I kind of wish they were playing the Eagles again. But anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's Ben Jones from uh, State College. So thank you so much, Ben. Yep, thanks for having me, fellas. Thanks. Um, for everyone that is listening on the podcast platform side, you can flip over to part two now. Jeffrey and I will continue along with some uh, Pat Farmuth talk and uh, some other Steelers-related notes, uh, news every uh, every minute. Not really, but uh, at the time of the year, there's still some exciting stuff popping up, so make sure you flip over to part two now. If you're on YouTube and Facebook, just hang tight. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.